creation and join me. Holy, holy, holy one, your words feed us, the word frees us, and the spirit gives us life. Grant our ears an appetite for hearing and our spirits strength for loving you. Amen. Today's first reading is Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29 from the Common English Bible. Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed, so that the law became our custodian until Christ, so that we might be righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. You are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now if you belong to Christ... Then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. The wisdom of God for all people, the call of God to all who live. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke Chapter 9, we are back in the Gospel of Luke, verses 26 through 39. Listen for God's word to you. Jesus and his disciples sailed to the Gerizim's land, which is across the lake from Galilee. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a certain man met him. The man was from the city and was possessed by demons. For a long time he had lived among the tombs, naked and homeless. When he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down before him. Then he shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had taken possession of him, So he'd be bound with leg irons and chained and placed under guard. But he would break his restraints, and the demon would force him into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had entered him. They pleaded with him not to order them to go back into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, and the demons left the man and entered the pigs. The herd rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. When those who tended the pigs saw what happened, they ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed, completely sane. They were filled with awe. Those people who had actually seen what had happened told them how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. Then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerizines and asked Jesus to leave their area. 
because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and returned across the lake. The man for whom the demons had gone begged to come along with Jesus as one of his disciples. And Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home. Tell the story of what God has done for you. So he went throughout the city proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Lord, you trouble our peace. You step upon our guarded shore and confront our chaos. May we who are divided and colonized by the forces of death learn from you to speak our own name and proclaim your words of life. Through Jesus Christ, tamer of legions. Amen. Howard Thurman was a 20th century poet and theologian, mystic, and civil rights leader. Thurman's radical theology of nonviolence influenced the entire civil rights movement, and his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, had an enormous impact on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. In that book, Thurman identifies the core analysis of Jesus, he says, is that we are all children of God. This seemingly simple idea has immense implications, Thurman said, particularly for the marginalized and the oppressed, giving them courage, fearlessness, and power. At its inception, Christianity was a freedom movement, giving the marginalized and demonized a new dignity that they could not find elsewhere. See, Christianity wasn't so much a set of doctrines as it was a way of being human in which the old divisions of race and gender and class fall. For we are all children of God, as Paul says in our Galatians reading. After a long Easter tide, we are back in what we call ordinary time, which means we are back in the Gospel of Luke, for which I am grateful. In Luke, Jesus is continually expanding our understanding of who is welcome at God's table. His first public words in the Gospel are when he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's in Luke chapter 4, and the rest of this gospel, Jesus puts those words into action. In today's reading, he and the disciples set sail for the Gerasenes land, which doesn't mean anything to us, but this is Gentile country. Nearly all of Jesus' ministry is to the Jewish people of Israel. It's not until we read Luke's sequel to the gospel, the book of Acts, where we really witness the inclusion of the Gentiles, but in today's reading, Jesus gives us a sneak peek of what's to come. And as soon as he gets out of the boat, he meets this man who's been possessed by demons. A man who lived among the tombs, naked and homeless, alive, but surrounded by death. 
And Luke says that he was bound up in chains and kept under a guard, and yet he would break free from these chains and flee into the wilderness. So whatever we may think demon possession was or is, we can agree this man was not living his best life. He was unwell and presumably dangerous, at least the people thought he was. And so this demonized man sees Jesus and begs him, do not torture me, which is itself fascinating. Why would he be concerned about Jesus torturing him? You see, the demons always recognize that Jesus has power. And for them, power must mean violence. So they beg, don't torture us. Jesus orders the unclean spirits to leave him and then asks, what is your name? Legion, he replies, for we are many. This is a really interesting and likely symbolic reference to the Roman occupying forces, whose legions in Israel at the time bore a standard, and the picture on that standard was a wild boar, kind of like a pig. See, does this man, does he embody the consequences of Rome's occupation in Israel? Does the peace of Rome come at the cost of demonization and bondage? Because just like the demons, Rome knows only one kind of power, the power of violence. And so the legion asks Jesus, don't send us into the abyss, as if we know what that is. And then begs, send us instead into this herd of pigs. Now, if we read this story as a literal account, we might wonder, why would Jesus allow the demons to go into these, these poor, poor little pigs? In fact, in Bertrand Russell's famous essay, Why I Am Not a Christian, he cites this story as an example of Jesus' imperfect moral character. But I, I think this misses the point entirely. See, this, this whole story is filled with references to the Roman army, whose banner, like I said, was a wild boar. And so by sending the demons into the pigs, this story illustrates how Jesus is finally going to exercise the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, that project, it's ultimately going to self-destruct. See, Jesus doesn't destroy the demons, nor does he destroy the pigs. They destroy themselves, and that is key. See, evil is not something that can be destroyed with brute force. That's the way of the empire. That's the way of our world. That is not the Jesus way. For Jesus, evil destroys itself in the face of nonviolent love. Jesus' death exposes the impotence of Rome's violent rule and shows us a new way to be human in which evil is overcome with self-sacrificial love. That's where the entire Jesus story is headed and this encounter portends what is to come. And so Jesus heals this demonized man. And the people from the surrounding town, they show up to see what's happened. They find him dressed, sitting at Jesus' feet like a disciple in his right mind. How do you think they should respond to this? And shouldn't they be grateful? Jesus healed the person that they could not. Isn't that reason to celebrate? And yet, 
Luke tells us that they begged Jesus to leave because they were afraid. Not simply afraid, they were overcome with fear. Why were they so afraid? Theologian James Allison asks about, maybe it has something to do with that man's chains. Who chained him up anyway? Wasn't it these people who did it to protect themselves? Were they now worried that now this man is in his right mind? Is he going to appreciate the way that we treated him? And here's the most interesting question. Was he chained because he had those demons? Or did he have the demons because he was chained? We live in a world where many people live in chains. This morning, right now, in our country, there are 200 million people in our jails and prisons. A 500% increase in my lifetime. Far more than any other country on earth. It's been called the new Jim Crow. However we got here, we know a thing or two about putting people in chains, both in our country's past and in our present. See, every culture has scapegoats, those that we demonize so we don't have to look at the demons that we carry within ourselves. Today is Juneteenth, the longest-running African-American holiday in our country. Celebrating General Order 3 issued by General Gordon Granger on June 19, 1865, proclaiming freedom to the enslaved people on the island of Galveston, Texas, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. And the order stated, quote, all slaves are free. Sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Who came to, came to proclaim freedom and release to the prisoners? See, at its inception, Christianity was a non-violent liberation movement for people who lived under the oppressive Roman Empire. And those early Christians, they boldly proclaimed, everyone is a child of God, and children of God have a dignity that no one can take away from you. And for the first 300 years, the Jesus movement welcomed men and women, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and freed around a single table, refusing to reinforce the Roman cultural caste system. But when Christianity became wedded to the empire under Emperor Constantine, we became less a force of liberation and more a force of assimilation. But the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of liberation, cannot be co-opted forever. And so throughout church history, renewal springs up. Where should we expect to find that renewal? Not surprisingly, it's amongst the demonized. It was the enslaved 
on America's plantations who discovered in Jesus someone who affirmed their dignity. And the abolitionists in the civil rights movement understood Jesus' radical message of human dignity, freeing the enslaved, liberating the oppressed. And in our time, the Spirit is alive and well, still at work bringing freedom, not through force, but through nonviolent love. And to be a part of this work, to, to be a part of that movement, it can be scary. I mean, how do you have dinner with the people that you formerly put in chains? Isn't it easier just to keep things the way they are, to, to not stir things up? That's why the crowd asked Jesus to leave. And that's why the freedman begged to go with him. And in a surprise ending, Jesus sends the man back to the very people who had chained him, saying, return home and tell the story of what God has done for you. And he did. You see, the good news is that Jesus doesn't give up on the fearful crowds who sent him away. Because those crowds need freedom too. Freedom to stop demonizing. Freedom from their oppressive past. Freedom from the lie that violence makes peace. This is the freedom that only the children of God know. And Jesus wants it for us all. And it's in hearing the testimonies of those that Christ has set free that we too will be free. And so when it comes to our own sad history of racism and oppression, there can be a tendency to say, let's not rehash all that, right? Let's just move on. And have you heard that? Yeah. But notice Jesus doesn't tell the, the freed man to just move on. He says, no, go tell your story of what God's done for you and tell it to the very people who put those shackles around your legs. Think of how much courage it must have taken for that man to tell his story. I'm sure those people didn't want to hear it, but he told them anyway. Do we have the courage to hear the stories of those that we've demonized, that we too might be free? Christ came to set us free, all of us, the poor, the wealthy, the privileged, and the oppressed. The table's big enough for all, and at this table there is forgiveness, mutuality, and there is freedom. For here there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. This prayer was written by Howard Thurman. Open unto me light for my darkness. Open unto me courage for my fear. Open unto me hope for my despair. Open unto me peace for my turmoil. Open unto me joy for my sorrow. Open unto me strength for my weakness. 
Open unto me wisdom for my confusion. Open unto me forgiveness for my sins. Open unto me love for my hates. Open unto me Thyself for Myself. Lord, Lord, open unto Me. And we pray together in the words Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.